Hello and welcome to Voices in Innovation. I am your host, Johnny Baldisberger. With me today, I had, I have Ned Bellavance. I was looking at your name as I was speaking and tried to combine <laughs> words there. Hello, Ned. Hello, John. How are you? I'm lovely this beautiful quarantined morning. Uh, <laughs> so, Ned, I, I brought you on the show today because you have very recently written a report for GigaOM.com on edge infrastructure. Um, mm-hmm. The key criteria for evaluating edge infrastructure. Yeah. So I wanted to bring you on so that we could discuss uh, who you are, why the heck should people listen to you, and <laughs> sort of go into what edge infrastructure is and why it's important to uh, research, understand, know about, and ultimately take advantage of. Sure, sure. So uh, to get started, my name is Ned Bellavance. I currently work for myself through Ned in the Cloud LLC, but I've been doing tech for a little over 20 years now, all the way from help desk through sysadmin through general consultant. So I've seen a lot of stuff. And a lot of that stuff morphed into the cloud about four or five years ago, really started heavily getting into maintaining cloud deployments around the infrastructure space. And then I started hearing this thing, IoT, Edge, and seeing a demand in the marketplace where I was doing consulting for people who understand how things function at the edge and sort of how data needs to travel from these sensors and endpoints through some intermediary and then make its way up to a private data center or the public cloud for additional analysis. And that was something that I was hearing from some of the manufacturing clients that I was doing work for and some of the transportation clients that I was doing work for. And it was like, oh, okay, there's definitely a thing here that's important for people to know about. And while it was those two industries specifically, I think there's actually a much broader application here that we're going to see. It's sort of like when the internet first rolled out, people were like, oh, you'll just put newspapers on the internet. And that was like the first use case. It's not terribly exciting. You're not revolutionizing anybody's world. But then the concept of e-commerce kind of came along and the concept of social media. And suddenly the previous, I'm going to use the word paradigm and I apologize, the previous paradigm that you saw where people were just trying to take what they knew and translate it to the internet. Now there are these wholesale new concepts that were made possible by the internet. I think the edge is going to be a similar projection where initially it's just going to be these industries that have specific use cases that easily map to edge type applications and deployments. But longer term, you're going to see a whole new world of possibilities open up as people start thinking creatively about the technology. Let's take a moment to explain Edge for anyone listening that doesn't really understand the concept. When I first spoke to you a few weeks ago, uh, I didn't really have a clear idea of the definition of Edge technology, Edge infrastructure. It it was a word that I mostly connected to the term bleeding edge, uh, which mm. I, I mentioned to you. Uh, so I thought it meant like, Cutting again, cutting edge uh, on the very forefront of uh, technological innovation. 
And you disabused me of that notion pretty quickly. <laughs> well, I mean, you could certainly make the argument that some of these edge infrastructure and edge technology deployments are also on the cutting edge of innovation. But yeah, it is a completely different term. And it's one of those things that's hard to define in the same way that it's a little hard to define what cloud is and what cloud isn't. You know, you ask 10 technologists what cloud is and you'll get 15 responses. I feel like the edge is like that, but maybe even worse. So for my purposes, I consider the edge anything that happens outside of traditional computing environments. And by that, I mean public cloud and private data centers. So if this is something that's happening at the very, very edge with an Internet of Things device or a sensor, if it's something that's happening with a connected mobile device, and then the access layer that lives between your private data centers and that device. So I'm thinking edge co-location type facilities. And this could be a central office where some gear has been thrown in a, in a mini rack, like a telco rack and shoved in a corner. It could be at the base of a cell phone tower, or it could be what some of the co-location companies are doing is they're building basically these pods like concrete purpose-built pods that they can just drop in a location and hook up to power and fiber. And boom, you've got a little compute center there that people can lease space from. So that's what I think of when I think of the edge. It's all of those non-traditional compute environments where we're going to see an explosion of data and devices pushing information from those edges into a central core. And it's going to be difficult to handle that. And we're going to be looking at what is more of a distributed system versus what has become a centralized system as public cloud and private data centers really took off. It was sort of that old pendulum swing from centralized to decentralized to centralized. And now we're back on that decentralized swing. So <clears throat> the first thing that comes to mind when I'm listening to all this is security issues and compliance issues. Um, combine that with the very sudden experience of everyone doing their work from home uh, using their computers next to their Alexa device, wearing their smartphone, uh, and all these various internet of things that are always listening. Uh, <laughs> where, what is the intersection of edge and security? Uh, how well do they interact? The environment where edge devices are going to be is not going to be nearly as controlled as a traditional environment. And I guess that's a big part of addressing security at the edge is assume that there's this idea called assume breach when it comes to securing data centers and the cloud. It's assume that the attackers are going to get in eventually. So plan to segment your environment and network appropriately. So if one portion is compromised, it doesn't compromise the whole thing. Well, it just extend that metaphor to the edge where the number of protections you can apply from a physical perspective are much more limited. So if you think of a controlled environment where maybe you're working in an office and accessing things in a data center, well, your office, I mean, hopefully is not going to have a bunch of smart devices that are listening to everything you say and collecting analytics for Amazon and Google. So that's its own security issue. And I actually have seen one company I was doing consulting work for was also uh, doing work for DARPA. And obviously, 
DARPA has some stringent rules around security. And so Google Home type devices, Alexa type devices were banned from the work environment because of those security concerns. Likewise, when you have a traditional data center, you have like the man trap that uh, rotating glass vestibule where you go in and you have to, you know, do your credentials. And if you don't do it right, maybe you it doesn't open either way and you're just stuck in there. There's a lot of restricted access and then even physical security inside the data center itself. You have caged off server rows. It's harder to do a lot of those things when you're thinking about what you have available to you at the edge. Take, for instance, the base of a cell phone tower. How secure can you really make that? With that in mind, you have to assume that someone is going to walk up to that cell phone tower. No one's, I mean, someone's probably watching via closed circuit camera, maybe, or maybe just being recorded and monitored later. Someone can just walk up, break the lock on the door, go into that little mini data center, grab all the disks out of your server and walk away. Okay, that's scary. How are you going to protect against that? Well, there's lots of technologies where you can have all the data encrypted at rest and encrypted in transit and encrypted in memory. Okay, now I'm starting to think about those security requirements for any edge solution. I can't rely purely on physical security of my assets. I now need to protect the data and the computational and all of my important information in ways that if the device is compromised, it doesn't compromise me. When I first began uh, working and interacting with the tech world, uh, I was aghast to describe how scary uh, the security and privacy stuff could be. But uh, as I, again, as I mesh more in, I got to see what people were doing and this sort of things that we could do to protect data. And I would like to claim that that makes me feel more at ease. Uh, it may not be the most truthful claim I ever made though. Um, so let's let's move on to edge infrastructure, to the actual key criteria report that you wrote. Uh, let's just start with that term, edge infrastructure. Right. So what I was trying to define here was a segment of the edge market that had to do with that intermediary between the edge devices and the private data center of the public cloud there has to be some aggregation point that provides low latency, high bandwidth, or maybe not high bandwidth, but low latency connections to the edge devices. They're usually very reliant on a quick connection that is very close to that edge device. So think of multiple edge infrastructure units in a single city that are all working together to kind of create a mesh for edge devices. That could be an example of that. Within that edge infrastructure space, I found myself segmenting what exists in that little data center into three compartments, basically. One is the physical infrastructure, or you could call it edge co-location. That's the physical facility that is giving the power, the cooling, the connectivity, the physical connectivity to all the different internet providers, as well as whatever local network is being used the actual racks that servers are going to go in, all of those aspects go into that physical infrastructure layer. And then above that, you have a core system layer. And this is your physical hardware, the operating system that it runs, 
those type of components, it could be a hypervisor or you could be running something like Kubernetes on bare metal. There's a lot of different solutions out there that are trying to address that core system layer. And so I sort of lay out what that core system might look like and what are the key criteria when you're judging the effectiveness of one of those systems. And then the layer above that is, I called it the platform layer. And this is what actually runs your application. So Kubernetes, for example, would be one of those platform layers where you have the operating system below it and the hardware that's handling all the core communication and management of hardware. And then above that, you have the thing you're actually deploying your application against. And it could be Kubernetes. It might be just vanilla Docker. It might be a virtual machine. There's a lot of different ways that people are going about deploying edge applications. But the point is that platform has its own key criteria around how you can do application deployment and ongoing management. How do you monitor the health of your application? How do you provide things like durability? Because if one of these edge sites goes down, you can't have your whole application go down. So how does the platform help your application be distributed and resilient to a single site failure? And how does it help you manage your data? How does it ensure at the platform level that things are staying encrypted and protected? And maybe the core level is also providing its own layer of protection. So you have that sort of defense in depth approach. So broadly, those were the three layers that I came up with that all comprise edge infrastructure. And as I started to look at all the vendors out there, I definitely started seeing that division between who was addressing different segments of that, especially the physical, the co-location facilities. That's its own beast. That's its own animal because you have to deal with the vagaries of real estate and building physical infrastructure. And that is hard. That is hard to do. It's a whole completely different skill set than building servers and operating systems. So it's definitely a very specialized group that's handling that portion of it. And that's actually going to be the next report that I'm writing is on these edge co-location providers. The core and the platform systems, there's still a pretty decent divide between the two, though there is a little bit of overlap where some of the hardware vendors, say someone like Dell, has leveraged their relationship with VMware to create a complete solution for platform and core rather than just addressing one or the other. Now, that's interesting. Uh, when companies overlap, when they offer a, uh, a complete solution, do you tend to find that companies that are offering a complete solution are uh, offering a solution that is uh, able to compete with a more focused uh, company? <laughs> I think it depends on your use case. Generally speaking, when a vendor offers a complete solution, end-to-end -end solution, that usually means that it's not as feature-rich because they have to design and maintain a solution that meets the lowest common denominator of features that anybody's going to need. When you start getting into more specialized use cases, then you might want to seek out a vendor that's feature-specific and focused narrowly on one of these core competencies. That just... That, that seems to be true across all marketplaces, but I think it's going to be especially true of Edge because right now, 
the tech is moving so fast. If you have a use case and you really want someone who focuses on the application deployment platform side of things, find a company that is just focused on that. Don't try to pick the biggest vendor that has the biggest end-to-end solution because first of all, their solution might not meet your needs. And also they tend to not be able to customize as easily based off of what your unique needs are. Whereas a smaller company that's more focused may have that agility to adjust their product to meet some requirement that you have from your design specifications. You know, I I talked with uh, analyst John Collins a little bit about this idea uh, when we were talking about CICD and how you can't just say, and I talked again to Enrico about this, where people sometimes have a tendency to say, okay, this is the most expensive solution, so it's the best one, or this is the (laughs) cheapest solution, so that's the one I'm going with. Uh, It sounds like with edge infrastructure and the vendors in that space, you really have to look at more than uh, the size of the solution or the price of the solution. You have to look at what they're doing to your needs. Yeah, it definitely starts with that building a, what do I actually need out of a solution and what am I trying to deploy? What goal am I trying to achieve? One of the examples that was given to me was a shipping company that wants to do pallet analysis when their pallets are going out the door to make sure that the pallets are packed efficiently and that all the items that the packer said are on the pallet are in fact on the pallet. And so that was their use case. And what they needed was a solution that was able to capture high resolution pictures of the pallet and then do a visual analysis of that pallet in real time as it was moving through the shipping facility. So they had some very specific criteria on what the solution needed to be able to do, and they were able to find a vendor that catered to that. And it wasn't the biggest vendor. You know, I I don't think I'm spoiling anything to say it wasn't AWS or Azure, you know? It wasn't the big guys that are out there doing this. It was a smaller vendor that had a solution that was specific to visual analysis and AI that just meshed perfectly with what they were trying to do. Great. And the other thing they considered in their vendor selection process was how long has the vendor been around? Do they have solid financial backing? Are they going to be around in another five years, 10 years as we evolve the solution? And what's their partner ecosystem look like? Are they partnering with other people to help augment their solution to meet all of the needs I might have? So while this one company was providing that initial visual capture and analysis, they were partnered with AWS and Azure to take that information and then upload it to an S3 bucket or Azure blob storage where the machine learning models and AI that exist on those platforms could take over and do deeper analysis and training of a model. So there was a symbiotic relationship there between the feature-specific vendor and the more broad vendor where the customer was able to leverage each of those for the thing that they were best at. And I think that's that's probably the most important consideration is you know, make sure the company's not going to go out of business, but also find the ones that meet your needs, but also mesh well together. You want to play nice with others, I suppose. Always good advice. 
Um, <clears throat> normally, I would ask you what the future of edge infrastructure is, where it's going. However, you already kind of mentioned that edge infrastructure is sort of at the, we're getting news articles on the internet uh, <laughs> point and, and where that's going to evolve and uh, kind of be innovative from there. So <clears throat> what would you say to a CTO, a CIO who says, well, I'm not doing anything with edge. It's not important to me. It's not applicable to me right now. I would say they might be right at this very moment. It might not be applicable and that's fine. I think we're at that stage where everybody needs to keep an eye on it and be learning about it, but it might not be time to go wholesale adoption with it. Yes, it works great for specific use cases. If you're in the packing industry, if you're in manufacturing, if you're in transport, if you're in gaming, gaming is a a great area where edge plays a significant role because you have all these people with mobile devices. They want really good performance out of their games. Sometimes they don't have the horsepower on their local device. So I know one gaming company is essentially running mini gaming servers in all of these edge locations. And the game that's being played is really just a screen being pushed from the edge compute to the local device because the local device just doesn't have the horsepower to do it. That's one example of gaming. Another one could be uh, some sort of local gaming a tournament or something that needs that real-time data and can link up players that are close to each other without having to backhaul that traffic to an internet exchange point that might be, I don't know, 600 miles away. And that's not uncommon to see internet traffic instead of breaking out locally and just connecting directly through the local cell tower or the local CO, it's actually being backhauled all the way. Say you're in Boston, it might go all the way down to New York or DC and then come back up. And that obviously adds some lag to the communication. So if you're thinking from a gaming where milliseconds matter, it makes a lot of sense that you might want something that can do that local breakout. So yeah, there's a bunch of different applications for edge. And we're, like I said, we're just starting to poke into what those areas are. If you're a CTO and you part of your job is to stay on top of new and emerging trends in technology and see where they're headed and how you might judge one of those solutions against your current needs. So that's where something like a key criteria report comes in really handy because it lays out what's the landscape for this and what are the things that you should be aware of if a solution comes available that's applicable to your space. And it's It's vendor agnostic, so it's not pushing with an agenda of, oh, and by the way, go buy AWS. That's not not the angle that it's coming from. It's more, obviously, vendor agnostic and going more with a higher level overview of what the technology itself is intended to do. I'm personally aware of a lot of different game companies that are attempting to overcome the limitations of people's personal devices. Uh, Stadia from Google made a big splash, uh, I think just a few months ago with their advertisement. And I think there's probably a lot of work that needs to still be done and a lot of challenges that need to be overcome as far as uh, high-end gaming to people's personal devices. I think that Google Stadia is a perfect example because it was launched to great fanfare and the architecture of it was essentially 
we're going to run the game in our Google data centers and you're just going to stream that game to your TV and play with a controller. And even I believe the controller commands were going back to the data center. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of potential for serious lag, especially depending on the route that your internet traffic is taking. And let's remember it was using public internet. So you are succumbing to the vagaries of public internet routing, which can change at any time. Someone can inject bad routes for whatever reason, some internet exchange point that gets basically paid on how much traffic they process might you know, try to push to get some more traffic going their way. And they don't care that it's adding lag to your Stadia game, right? And uh, let's remember the Stadia launched with, a, you mentioned milliseconds matter. Uh, Stadia <laughs> launched with Destiny 2 which is an extremely uh, fast-paced, milliseconds matter, uh, cohesion matters game. Mm. Yeah. So obviously, you know, there were some specifications around what type of internet connection you, you needed to have and how much bandwidth you needed to have. Those were important. Absolutely, you needed to have, I think it was like 30 meg down and 15 meg up minimum to play effectively. But what you can't control unless you have a dedicated circuit is the latency. And the latency is what's going to kill you in a game like that. So Google got a little uh, over their skis on that one. And we'll see if they continue powering forward or do the typical Google thing, which is just to abandon a project by the side of the road. Google Reader, rest in peace. I was about to say Google Glasses, rest in peace. (laughs) Yeah, okay, (laughs) yet another one. Uh, there's actually a Twitter account. I think it's called killed by Google that has a, is constantly listing and posting different things that have been given the ax by Google. And the fact that it's over a hundred things is telling, but if Google wanted to be smart about it and really get this to work for people who might not have a great internet connection and are not living in a major metropolitan area where they are an internet exchange point, they could embrace something that some other vendors are now doing, which is having all of these little edge data centers that are doing local breakout of traffic. So you get that low latency connection because it's not flying all the way out to DC when you're living in Boston and coming back. And it also can connect up players that are, are locally in the same geography. So you don't even have to worry about the latency with that as well. And Google can pay for dedicated connections from those edge locations back to their data centers. So even if it does have to go out of that, it has a dedicated circuit that it's going on instead of trying to route through the internet. It's not that the internet's bad. It's just that it's no, there's no guarantees, right? Right. So these are the things that Stadia probably misstepped on. And it's not because the engineering wasn't there. I think they just didn't understand where the, bottlenecks were going to be. And now that it's out and being tested by lots of people, those bottlenecks are becoming very apparent. So maybe they should have read my report. I don't know. <laughs> there's there's a process I've noticed in my time on this earth in which something, some new technology emerges. It gets kind of slowly tested and kind of slowly builds out. I, I think we're seeing some pain points that are happening as people try to push things farther than they're ready to. Mm. Uh, 
and that it's again it's it's as you said an emerging tech that people need to keep an eye on because even if right. it isn't a solution for you right now it could be in another year or another 5 years part of part of doing technology right is being aware that it's ever changing and uh to stay well on the edge of what's coming out <laughs> Yeah, I think what you're seeing is the experimentation phase. And Google will be the first to admit, as well as others, that part of experimenting is failing and then learning from that failure. You're going to see a lot of new edge applications that come out that are stunning failures. And that's fine. That's expected. It doesn't mean that edge is a bad idea. Equate it to the dot-com bust of the early 2000s you had a gold rush of people trying to get to the web and experimenting in a whole bunch of different ways. And the ones that actually had a truly good idea tended to be the ones who stuck around while others who had a idea that wasn't ready for prime time yet, maybe they fell by the wayside only for that idea to be picked up later. I think of something like DoorDash, let's say. There was absolutely a company that was doing on-demand delivery of groceries and restaurant food back in the early 2000s. But the infrastructure wasn't there. Cell phones weren't there. GPS wasn't there. All the things that make it possible for that technology to work today still needed to be developed and grown. And once those things came into play, now this idea, which seemed ludicrous 20 years ago, is commonplace today. And I think you're going to see the same arc of edge. It's going to be these wild ideas that just don't work right now because we don't have these really well-developed edge location facilities. But in 10 years, we will. And that ludicrous idea is going to become the commonplace, of course you would do that idea. We're going to see that a similar evolution. And that's something that CTOs need to stay abreast of for these opportunities for their business to grow in new and interesting ways. It's fascinating stuff. And, and I apologize for uh, swerving the conversation in the direction of video games. Uh, as you can see from the, the amiibos behind me, I'm maybe something of a nerd. Um, <laughs> but I think this has been an enlightening conversation and the report was a delight to read. I would encourage everyone that's interested in edge uh, in emerging technology to go to gigaohm.com and pick up Ned Bellavance's report, the key criteria uh, evaluating edge infrastructure and future reports that Ned is in the process of writing now. But other than doing that, how can people uh, get a hold of you or follow the conversation and keep up with you? Yeah, the easiest way to find me and where I'm most active, honestly, is Twitter. So I'm Ned1313 on Twitter. My DMs are open if you want to message me privately or, you know, start a conversation publicly. Either one's fine by me. I'm also on LinkedIn, Ned Bellavance. It's not hard to find me. And I have a website. It's nedinthecloud.com where I have links to all my podcasts and books and various other errata. So you can check that out as well. Fantastic. And if you want more, maybe even things that aren't about the edge, again, go to gigaohm.com for future forward advice on technology and IT. For GigaOhm, I've been Johnny Baltusberger. Thank you for listening to Voices and Innovation. Voices.